Every single person I'm at, when I see them walk through that door, I'm like, what could I unleash today? I mean, what magic could we perform where they walk out of there more confident, more ready to use their talents to change the world? And if we do that one by one by one, and we even get it right one out of ten times, we're we're going to change the course of Peoria. Mic check, mic check. What's going on? Welcome into another episode of the KZ Community Beats. I'm your host, Ross Martinez. In the hot seat this week, I have the head of the Peoria Riverfront Museum, John Morris. We're going to learn in-depth details of the history of our community. So without further ado, John Morris, let's get to talking. 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day of the week, except for Monday, we're closed. And Sunday, we're noon to 5 p.m. Ah. So six days a week, we're open. We have the largest movie screen in Illinois. I did. So you had some great... Star Wars. This... Oh, yeah. We've yeah. Done a, we did a whole, all nine of the classic Star Wars, uh, but we do uh, great nature films. We do great classic films. We we have a thing where the community can pick a film, and uh, for $500, they can they can actually sponsor a film and invite all their friends, and hmm. uh, we do a lot of, a lot of fun stuff. But the museum is um, accessible to people. You can get a pass at the library to come for free. You can pay uh, fifteen bucks an adult to come through, see a planetarium show with the star, the uh, stars on the dome, and see all the oh. galleries and um, film. So you know, it's uh, it's a very cool place, very cool place. Now, what are your thoughts about the Dart program? Have you been keeping up with that? The pro what pro- was it? Dart, where they sent the um, they sent the missile into an asteroid in space, and they hit sure. It. I've been keeping up with. In fact, our planetarium director uh, uh, shared. Uh, the video as soon as it came out, she has an email that she sends. Anybody can subscribe for free to her email. She gives you updates uh, at least once a week, sometimes more, on super cool stuff that the planetarium keeps track of. Yeah, it's the first time ever that we saw going right into the asteroid right before it, it impacted. And, no Bruce Willis needed. Uh, no Bruce Willis needed. <laughs> Armageddon, man. <laughs> Yeah. Well, John Morris, we talked off the mic a lot about uh, what this podcast entails, and it's pretty much a collection of people's stories, things they've been through, um, mentors, life lessons, how they've grown with the community, or if they've been outside the community, how they see it from an outside perspective. Are you born and raised here in Peoria? Native son of Peoria. Very proud of that. Born 1968, June 2nd, just just up the street at Methodist Hospital. And take me through childhood here. Like, how was it? So I grew up public school, very proud, Peoria Public Schools, uh, Northmore, Richwoods. Northmore then was K through 8. So I, I walked to school. I was a crossing guard. Mm. Got involved with student council. That was very cool. And grade school, high school, Richwoods High School. Had a wonderful career at Richwoods. Uh, you know, just a just a... Still a great school. I, it's called the greatest school in America. But Peoria Public Schools has a lot to be proud of. My wife, Cindy, uh, runs the Peoria Public Schools Foundation. Both our children are products of the Peoria Public Schools. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a native son of Peoria. And then I went off to Washington, D.C., a place called the George Washington University, uh, GW. Uh, it's three blocks from the White House. So I had a great run at a couple of degrees, undergraduate, and then a master of public administration at GW. Yeah. Interned in the White House and Capitol Hill was and fortunate to be president of the student body at GW as well. So So you were in the halls of Capitol Hill and everything. I did, yeah. I worked on Capitol Hill. I worked in the White House and uh-huh. uh pretty pretty fun. Pretty fun. So mentally, how is that for you? Like we we know Peoria, right? Middletown, USA. 
It's downstate. Yeah, right, downstate. <laughs> Chicago calls us downstate. I call them upstate. I mean, uh, no insult to them, and it's. And, but they call. But we were here first, you know. Yeah. Uh, I always say uh, Dusable. The I was telling you earlier, the French uh, speaking Haitian black Haitian explorer who farmed here for ten years. Uh, in central Illinois, actually moved north and founded the city of Chicago, which is why they have a DuSable Museum, a DuSable yeah. Street up there. So it's um, there's a lot of history right here. Peoria is the uh, is unbelievable. I recently met with the chief of the Peoria tribe, which is now based in Oklahoma. But Peoria takes its name from the Native American peoples who were here for hundreds of years, and uh, sadly they were moved out of Illinois in 1818. Three different places where they settled in Oklahoma. There are about 3,800 members of the Peoria tribe left. But our name comes from uh, uh, this place where there were once the um, <clears throat> native um, uh, indigenous Americans who were here for estimated 10,000 years. Ten th three times older than the pyramids of Egypt. There have been people living up and down along this river. So here we are in Peoria today. You know, you're living right downtown. I'm working downtown. We don't realize, but this is one of the most historic places in all of North America. The French came here, and they were trapping fur. Fur was, like, really valuable back then. Yeah. And so this is uh, late 1600s. There was no United States of America. It hadn't, been, hadn't declared independence for another uh, 100 years. And in uh, 1680, the French put a fort in here for the first time. Uh, and it, th we're the oldest settled uh, French community in the Midwest. So what? there's a lot, a lot of cool history in Peoria that people people don't necessarily know about. But I, I grew up here. I didn't know about it all. But now that I'm uh, the president of a museum, I'm very, really proud of that. Yeah. I, I learn from smart people around me all the time. And this place is cool. Yeah. I mean, I had no idea prior to I should have did some history. But, you know. No. I mean, <laughs> who, who, who knew? Who knew? But that's our job at the museum, and it's my job personally, and why I find myself uh, for the last five and a half years as the director of the museum. It is, it is, it's really cool to be able to lift people up, build confidence in our community because we've got a super cool place here. So, what makes you so passionate about the history of this place? Well, I think we should bloom where we're planted. This is my town. I was born here, and uh, I feel like lifting other people up is a good thing to do. You do it in your program. Thank you. And uh, the museum does it every day. Yeah. Uh, we have 180,000 visitor experiences a year right downtown Peoria. Among those now are paid, fully paid for, fully sponsored by generous donors in the community. 15,000 uh, students in 44 schools in the region, all of the Peoria public schools That's students come every year, K through 8. Every oh. year they come in. So they're going to see like the 10 foot tall amethyst purple quartz crystal amethyst tower, one of the three tallest amethyst towers in the world. Yeah. They're going to see uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln's life mask, one of only 15 that were made from cast in bronze, actual from Lincoln's face. It's unbelievable. So super cool stuff. Wow. Anyway, yeah, I'm I'm proud of myself. No, I mean, proud I, of my I'm, I'm a nerd about history. So this is all this is amazing to me, just the fact that. You've put yourself in a position to enrich the community in our history, but who did that for you? Good question. You know, I know my father who moved here from Virginia. A lot of people from Virginia are interested in history. There's a lot of presidential history. Uh, it's an old community, the earliest settlements in America. 
So I, I, he wasn't a historian or isn't a historian, but he, he certainly had an interest and passion for history. Now, somewhere along the line, though, I got, I got the, the idea, the bug for the notion that if we don't know where we've been, uh, it's hard to know where you're going. Yeah. Uh, history informs the present and, and inspires the future. You gotta, you gotta know a little bit. It's like, um, uh, being a basketball fan living in Chicago where you're from and having no idea that there was ever a guy named Michael Jordan. Imagine. You can't imagine it. You have to know that in order to fully appreciate the history of uh, the, the the present, even though Michael Jordan's not playing in Chicago. So why do you need to know about him? It's because how can you live in Chicago and not know about Michael Jordan? That's why they put up a bronze sculpture of yeah. him and the jump man yeah. the stance. And that's why everybody still talks about him. So, you know, history helps us really have a sense of where we are today. Because history's over. Let's face it. It's over. It's already done. So why study it? Because it still is present with us. It's, and that's why, how, how would you live in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, where the pivotal war, the pivotal, pivotal battle of the Civil War took place? Gettysburg, Battle yeah. of Gettysburg. But there's a bunch of people in Gettysburg who actually don't know that a battle took place there. I feel the same way about Peoria. How can you live in Peoria, Illinois, and not know that we're one of the most historic cities in America? Yeah. <laughs> one of the greatest river cities. One of the great, you know, the one of the oldest continuously human occupied places in all of North America. I mean, it's pretty cool. People have been coming here for a long time. We should know it. Yeah. We should know about our Michael Jordan stories. So. So what are our Michael Jordan stories besides how we've been established, how we've been here for years? Well, let me, I'll tell you a few. So, uh, first of all, we produced very significant leaders in different fields. One of those is in entertainment, Richard Pryor. He grew up within blocks of here, within blocks of here. And he had a, a woman at the Carver Center, which is still around today, still helping young people today. They're private, not-for-profit uh, organization, United Way agency. woman named Juliet Whitaker took Richard Pryor aside, helped him get on the stage, kind of got him in, into acting. Uh as a young man and kind of got him away from a pretty bad situation because if you know Richard Pryor's story, you know, it was kind of grew up in a, around a brothel and his father was, uh, um, very, very tough on him and uh, it was a bad situation. But I think Juliet Whitaker and others in the community helped, uh, helped him kind of get going. And right now at the Peoria Riverfront Museum, we actually have just found within the last uh, year and a half, the first pictures ever taken of Richard Pryor for public relations purposes, and they are owned by the museum now, and they're up on the walls of the museum. Oh. He's 21 years old, and he's about to go off to New York try, trying to break in. And so you got entertainment stories. Yeah. You got science stories. So uh, it, it, it seems impossible, although not so much because we've just been through a pandemic. But once upon a time, uh, if somebody got sick with a bacterial infection, they could die. I mean, they there was no way of bringing it back, and if uh, uh, it was a chance, and, and during World War II, where we're at war with the Nazis, trying to keep America free as a free country, um, our troops were dying over there as much from the disease and infection that they would get as they were in battle. Actually, more from disease than they were in battle. This is a problem because when you're trying to win a war against the Nazis in Europe, and your troops are dying. Mm-hmm. So what does that have to do with Peoria? Well, there was about 20 years earlier discovered something called penicillin. Yeah. Penicillin's antibiotic 
but nobody knew how to mass produce it. So they only could produce a tiny little bit. They would knock down the disease for a day or two, but they didn't have enough penicillin to keep the patient alive. Well, when you got thousands of troops dying of disease, and if they were wounded and they got infected, they were designed, the whole America hung in the balance. Because if we didn't have the manpower to, and then it was people power, today we say people power, manpower to, to do it. So how does Peoria factor? Huh. Well, Peoria had a laboratory here that was founded by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, USDA. It's called the Ag Lab. Today we see it. It's coming out from yeah. Bradley University across the interstate. See it right up there in university. It's still there. At that place, that's where they discovered how to mass produce Stop. penicillin. It changed. It saved millions of lives around the world over the last century. Uh, and that was in the 1940s, in the mid-1940s, right amidst the war. So here in Peoria, we have an, what's called an international chemical landmark. People outside of, like, the chemical societies wouldn't even know what that is. I didn't know what it was. But it's a very big deal. It's one of the most significant chemical breakthroughs in history, and it happened in our town because of Andrew Moyer and his assistant, who was a woman named Mary, they called her Moldy Mary Moldy because she's Mary. found out how to uh, mass-produce penicillin. So today we get sick, we take antibiotics, we, we take it for granted. But what? Peoria changed the balance not only of disease, but possibly of our free society, of the nation. Because the, if the, we couldn't stop those troops from dying, it was a pretty big deal. So what? This these are, blew my mind. Yeah, these are incredible stories. So we invented the white <laughs> cane. You ever seen a, a blind person with a white cane and a yeah. red tip? Mm-hmm. That was invented in Peoria. It's now the worldwide symbol. It was the Lions Club back in the 1930s. Cars were becoming more and more prevalent, and blind people were having serious problems because you're trying to cross the street, and it, it, you don't have the, the, the horse clopping along you got a car coming so the lions club here d- painted a cane we and we have the first cane on display at the museum really it's incredible on on loan oh. from the the blind center here in peoria so uh, the stories go on and on but we should be uh be pretty proud you know I, that's why i've decided my job my role my purpose in life is to help us believe in ourselves yeah because we should we're a super cool place but what makes you, like, that passionate about it? Well, I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, I guess the because this little is... bit of competition. I oh. mean, I'm a competitive guy. Yeah. I live here, and we, we want to win. We want to keep this place growing. We want to have this place succeed. Uh, we want to keep it, you know, and we want our children to grow up in a place where they know they can succeed. They can do whatever they want. They can invent a business or move forward. So yeah. the stories of the past, when that has happened, we ought to we ought to tell those stories. Which is interesting because we always I've always said that history goes in circles, which a lot of people say we're very secular. Where there we go around and around. So we we made medical history with that, right? But then wasn't it uh, over the summer and the fall where we had something just installed at OSF? That's exactly right. The proton the yes. proton beam therapy at the Comprehensive Cancer Institute of OSF. The dream of Dr. Jim McGee, mm-hmm. who himself is a product of small town Illinois and went to med school and studied radiation. He actually studied radiation in France, where the breakthrough, Madame Curie was her name, had the breakthrough of how to use radiation to actually cure certain diseases like cancer. Oh, yeah. So he studied over there at the birthplace of it all. He comes back to Illinois, comes to Peoria, and he is 
the leader of that whole thing, and we're going to be one of very, very few places in the world that has not only a proton beam therapy device, which I've I've seen, by the way. Yeah. I saw it. It's not, it's not open yet, but I got a, a hard hat tour in there, uh, which is really fun, you know, to be involved with the museum. Sometimes I get into places, and uh, Dr. McGee's well, dream. That's history. And, oh, man. It's, that's massive history. History being made right now. Yeah. That's a $250 million facility mostly funded by uh, private contributions and by the sisters themselves, mm-hmm. and it's going to save a lot of lives. So, yeah, isn't that great, the way you made the connection between mass production of penicillin and the breakthrough that we're, that we're doing today in medicine mm-hmm. uh, in the proton beam therapy? Yeah, like, exactly. It's crazy. Like, before moving out here, I've, I was always told that Peora is, um, um, excuse me, Calpotown. Right. But the more I'm starting to interview, the more I'm starting to talk to people, get history of this place, it seems like more more of a medical kind of entertainment field mixed well, we're, with Caterpillar. Yeah, I think we're moving. Medicine's largest uh, employer now. Caterpillar's still, we're still the hometown of Caterpillar. Their still. headquarters is has now moved to Texas. Mm-hmm. Moved up to Deerfield for five years and then moved to Texas. Uh, but we will always be the hometown of Caterpillar. Uh, we, this is where it grew up. This is where it became a world-class Dow Jones Industrial Average company. And we still have 13,000 employees in the area who are Caterpillar employees, plus thousands of others that are connected. So medical is emerging. But remember, before there was medical, before there was Caterpillar, there was a huge whiskey uh, production. We were the whiskey city in all of the United States. Like, were the distillery of whiskey? Like, right. We place? had at least 13 distilleries. We we were, before there was a federal income tax, everybody knows now there's federal income tax because <laughs> you pay federal income tax. But before there was income tax, there was something called an excise tax excise. on certain kinds of products. Well, whiskey was one of them. We made so much whiskey here, we paid more federal tax than any city in America. Because excise tax was applied to whiskey. Why do we make whiskey here? Because we're right in the heart of these agriculture byproducts that could easily come to Peoria. We got good shipping with uh, the third highest trafficked river in America behind the Mississippi and the Ohio is the Illinois River. See those barges going up and down there? Carrying millions of tons a year, uh, maybe billions of tons a year of of, Various uh, products up and down that Illinois River. Well, back then, same thing. Great access. And we sit over something called an aquifer. Most of us live in Peoria. We don't even know it's there. An aquifer. So, 12, 15,000 years ago, a giant glacier was over these parts of of, uh, this part of Illinois. And the glacier got thicker and thicker. Each year with the snow and the ice and never melted. It was a, it was a different climate. And the glacier moved down through Illinois at a slow pace, bulldozing up the soil. Well, it stopped right about here in Peoria for a certain period. And then it started melting and retreated. This is over hundreds of years. Where it stopped, it left behind a pile of dirt that would hit bulldozed up. We call that Grandview Drive. We call that the bluffs of prospect. We can look across the, the river. But as it melted, that water soaked down into the ground and well below the soil and into the ground table and formed something that is an underground lake. It's called an aquifer. And right beneath us right now is some of the purest 
crystal water. You go up to Moss Avenue, mm-hmm. right off Moss there, there's a little spring where it's still coming up from that aquifer. And it's the purest water you've ever seen. You pro- I, I don't know whether I'd advise it, but I think you probably could drink the water pure as could be right out of the spring. Really? That aquifer is what allowed the water for the whiskey making. So the corn products and agriculture products coming in, the fact they could load the barrels of whiskey up on the river and go and go up and down, send them off to wherever their destination was. So this is before Caterpillar was even, nobody heard of Caterpillar. It hadn't even been invented yet. We were a huge whiskey city. And then something happened. Huh. Prohibition. So we were on before Prohibition. You it? better believe it. We were the whiskey city before Prohibition. And then Prohibition comes along and outlaws our economy. I mean, basically, <laughs> you can't, you completely can't sell you completely. alcohol anymore. Yeah. Because America had voted for it and it felt it was a danger to, uh, uh, it was actually, it was an anti-abuse campaign, the temperance movement that started here in Illinois, up near Chicago. And um, and uh, it resulted in a short-lived uh, constitutional amendment to the U.S. Constitution to ban alcohol called prohibition. Mm-hmm. And then there was the repeal of prohibition. <laughs> and uh, during that time, though, there was... Still a lot of alcohol being sold and made. <laughs> well, illegally. we don't talk about yeah. behind closed doors. <laughs> but, but Peoria has, because we were Whiskey City, we got a lot of that history too. What? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we, we Al, See, Al Capone and the gang. That's what I'm thinking. They were sending people down here. I mean, this is this was crazy. Because when I think Prohibition, I think Al Capone. I think Chicago. I think. Well, you could think Peoria era. too, because Peoria was, this is a hideaway for that group. They would come down here to Peoria. This town became a. Quite a town for all that mess going on during really? Prohibition. Oh, yeah. Are there any other stories about Prohibition times that you know of here in Peoria? Mm. Anything that kind of would pique the interest of something like the regular historian might not know? Well, uh, there is a town, there is a, uh, there is a, a story uh, about a woman who was uh, very much for uh, the prohibition of alcohol and who threatened uh, here in town, she would go around and threaten to destroy the, like a painting or property or something if she did if you didn't pay her off, and then she used the money to uh, to uh, uh, fund her uh, her cause, uh, which was the cause of trying to um, prohibit uh, alcohol. The, pro- the so she probably. extorted the funds to yeah. later fund. Yeah, and so there's a there's what? a painting here in Peoria that she reportedly this I don't I don't know how. I don't know how much of this is fact, how much, but she reportedly threatened to axe this this big famous painting if they didn't pay her off, and and so the story is that uh, you know she got paid, and then she would go from city to city doing this. So um, it was, I mean, it's violent and illegal, and in today's day, you should be arrested if you you know <laughs> try yeah. to threaten to destroy somebody's property to extort money out of them, but um, which were doing illegal actions anyways yeah right right so yeah so i mean it was that's where she got you know <laughs> was the gray area of it yeah all. so i i am not an expert on that particular story but that's just yet another one of those stories so you know as you can see there there's i think for me there's an excitement about like discovering these little surprises and there's yeah. many more to be discovered we have the greatest tree in the state of illinois here what in peoria the greatest oak tree in the state of Illinois is up on a place called High Street, and you can go see it right now. It's, some estimates, 400 years old. It was here before the United States of America. It was here when the French settlers first came. 
it's so massive when you see it it's like you will never forget it and and okay. it survives winter after winter unfortunately five or six years ago there was a huge ice storm and we lost about a third of the tree and it was that old but the branches were so huge and that ice weighed on one of those branches and it kind of snapped it off and they had to they had to cut off the rest of it but it's still impressive it's still one of the greatest it's been things. around for how long well some estimates are 400 years oh. that's an old tree yeah. i mean it may be it may be one of the oldest trees in the state if not the oldest so uh, i'm not sure uh it seems there's it's a, lived through a lot of civil transitions lived through there's a plaque there's a bronze plaque on there and it it says this tree was witness to this and witness to that yeah. and witness to the early you know so um that tree to me is really cool because you go look at that thing and said, "Man, the branches of that tree and has been have been witnessed to a lot." It's right up there on the top of Main Street. Take a left on High Street. Zoom back in there. Take five minutes. Get out of your car. Go look at it. Yeah. It's one of those things. Like if people don't know this is here, because you can live in Chicago your whole life, you will never see a tree like this. And Chicago is thirty uh, three million people. We're one hundred ten thousand in the city. Three hundred three three hundred fifty thousand in the metro area. So. You know, uh, Chicago's a big city. Yeah, uh, you're you're a Chicago <laughs> man, so and it's Peoria's got a lot, lots of lot of stories to tell. Yeah, you know what I love? I I can see the fire in your eyes. Like the you ever see somebody doing what they're supposed to do in life, or you see they're walking and their light is a phrase that I like to use. I can see it when you're talking about this. You get passionate. You're like, well, let me tell you about this. Well, what about this? What about this? That's amazing to see. Like, is that something that also fuels you when you see kids or other community members come into the Riverfront Museum and you see them get that awe moment like, ooh, wait, ah, this is cool? I like your phrase, walking walking in their light. Uh, I work with a board of directors at the museum who has a, is filled with people like that. They believe in the community. And so I, I, they are all volunteers, 21 mm -hmm. members, and then they're dozens of other volunteers who serve on advisory councils and hundreds of people who give money, voluntarily give money. And I would say that's what they want, is people walking in their light, like the phrase that you use, unleash the full talent and genius of every yeah. individual. If we do that, Peoria is unstoppable. So if we work together, and what I'm doing is, you know, the museum is just one place. It's one building and so forth, but I don't really think the museum is a building. I think of the museum as a community. It's the community of people, people like yourself who spend time making podcasts on, you know, telling, helping, tell, helping people uh, walk in their light, tell yeah. their story. So uh, what I'm doing is gathering every one of those people I possibly can in something called a museum. Muse means to inspire, and so a museum is a place of inspiration. So uh, what if we did that? What if we used a museum to kind of uh, transform the confidence level of our community, the entrepreneurial spirit, uh, you know, yeah. maybe we could solve some problems, solve some violence, solve some access to having the capital we need to make our dreams uh, get lift off because you can have an invention, but if nobody funds it, you're never going to build a factory to make the invention to sell the invention. <laughs> so we need access to capital. We need access to good people. When I see somebody like you who's moved to Peoria from Chicago, I'm like you come to the right place, man. You're 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 here in a place that can lift uh, lift people up, and we're small enough, we could get it done. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting town. So far. I've only been here since April. So April eighth is when I moved. Uh, when we're recording this, this is January what 
12th. So I'm coming up on my year. But when I went home to Chicago for the Christmas, New Year's, I came back as I was crossing the bridge, getting back in town. I actually felt like, oh, wait, I'm home. And it, it hit me quick. Like, all right, this place is it's awesome. I like it. But now that I'm learning the history of it, actually living through the history of having that full-time beam come down. Like, isn't that awesome, though? That's like, cool. not only do you get to, uh, what's what's I guess, rehash history like this, that, but you get to see real-time history be made. Yeah. So what are other moments uh, as an outsider that you, like, history's been made in the last 20, 30 years here? Stuff that have been, that has been happening. Well, I think what we're seeing right now, and we're witnessing some of these entrepreneurial efforts that could be the future caterpillars, could be the future, uh, you know, medical centers uh, uh, of the community. There's some entrepreneurial effort. There's some work that's been done in autonomous vehicles that, uh, you know, who knew that Peoria would be a place where some of the leading edge stuff. Uh, wait for wait. I didn't autonomous know video uh, uh, video uh, vehicles, autonomous vehicles that uh, drive themselves. For example, um, Caterpillar's uh, Caterpillar does a lot of work in the autonomous vehicle area because a lot of their big mining trucks don't have drivers. They just drive around. You know the, oh. the giant uh, D11 tractors will load the huge mining. Uh, composite into their beds and then the, the trucks will actually drive themselves uh, back to where they need to go so the future of the automobile probably has something to do with autonomy autonomy meaning uh, drive it itself so you could sit in the car but the car has got the gps guide uh, guide on it and it takes you to where you're going to go yeah could be your car but it takes you to where you want so um, well, we've always been fascinated by self-driving cars Autonomy. It's been a thing. I remember Demolition Man, the movie. Sure. Way back in the day. Oh, yeah. Amazing movie. Wesley Snipes. Uh, who else was in it? Um, Stallone. Sylvester Stallone. Yep. Wesley Snipes. Demolition Amazing Man. Movie. Yep, but they, they had the self driving car. They cars. had the self driving car. This notion of technology aiding us, uh, you know, to that extent. So there's been some breakthroughs there. Uh, there's, there's a firm here called Natural Fiber Welding. Um, natural fiber, well, it's interesting because it really is about making fabric out of plants. So they make a leather substitute that Ralph Lauren, some big brands are, are buying. Uh, uh, and this, this, these guys are, uh, uh, uh are really at cutting edge. Of, I mean, cause you, you use, uh, plants to make fabric. I mean, that could change the world. We just passed. In November, we passed 8 billion people on the planet. <laughs> 8 billion people on planet Earth. There's a lot of consumers. There's a lot of people, uh, not all of them in a place where they can consume equally with some of the developing nations and so forth. Anyway. 8 billion. 8 billion people. Yeah. That's. A lot of, lot of, lot of folks. Uh, so and we're. fear of like overusing our resources kind of has to be. There. Yeah. But you know what's amazing? Uh, the engineering of agriculture products has allowed us to go well beyond what scientists once predicted that we couldn't go beyond 5 billion, 6 billion, 7. There was no way we could feed that many people. There's not enough. We, most of the corn we grow in Illinois doesn't even go to food now. It goes to ethanol, goes to, to, uh, to making, uh, uh, uh fuel. Uh, so it's, it's, we've been able to genetically, um, soup up the productivity of our agriculture. Oh, let me tell you one other thing. It's 
It's kind of interesting about mm. Peoria. We are here at the center of the richest soil on earth, the most productive and richest soil anywhere. What makes it so rich? Well, what makes it so rich is that Illinois was once covered by prairies, only prairies, and prairie grass each year would die, go into the ground, new prairie grass come up, die, go into the ground, new prairie grass, die, go into the ground. So like self-mulch? Correct. And so it mm. got blacker and blacker and richer and richer with nutrients. And and the changing of the season and the way the climate was, it made our soil over thousands of years super black, super rich. I mean, you put a seed in here, it's going to grow more, you know, more ears of corn, more taller, blah, blah, blah. So you you do the same thing out in the, the red soil uh, somewhere in the south or the California, Cal, Northern California's uh, largest agriculture state in the Union, by the way, is California believe it or not. A lot of fruits and vegetables and agriculture in Northern California, but they don't have the soil we have. Mm. So Illinois has the soil and right around Peoria, Bloomington, Champaign, the richest soil in the world, like not in the Midwest or not in the United States, all in on planet earth. It's the richest soil, which is why agriculture is still the number one industry in the state of Illinois. It's it, it, a lot of people don't think about that. That is so, like, when you think about it, when you explain it, it's Peoria has had its hand in a lot of mass endeavors, global endeavors. Uh, for a tiny little town. You would never think, because, like, I remember when I told my friends, oh, yeah, I got a job, I moved to Peoria, Illinois, and they're like, Peoria, Illinois, like, what? You mean further Naperville? I was like, well, I don't know, man, let's find out. <laughs> Listen, I mean, I, I mean, no disrespect to a lot of other cities, because yeah. they've got their history, but we got to start knowing that Michael Jordan played for a team here. Oh, by the way. Wait a minute. Hold on. We're not going to pass by that one. Hold on. <laughs> I'm, I meant that symbolically, that, that, like I said earlier with Chicago, if you lived in Chicago and you don't know Michael Jordan played there, how could you have missed it? Okay. You know, <laughs> but I also mean it literally huh. because the first professional game Michael Jordan ever played was at the Peoria Civic Center. Stop. Not kidding. It was a demo game. He had just been signed by the Bulls and they used to. They used to go out and do these uh, demonstration games for, to try to get sort of fans out of around. Uh, and so the first game he ever played in his professional career with the Chicago Bulls was right here. You're in Civic Center Plaza right now. Yeah. He's right here. You can look that one up if you don't believe me. Because I remember <clears throat> during the documentary they had of the uh, the early dynasty of the Bulls where they were talking about how they would come to Peoria, Illinois, and they would have crazy parties yep. in the hotel room. Yep. They would go to, you know, right down the street right here, not throw names out, but yep. they would talk about that. So I already knew that they would come yeah, down so, I mean, nobody knew MJ was going to be the greatest of all time at the time, but but uh, but uh, they knew it was going to be great. I mean, he had, he, he had a pretty good career yeah. in North Carolina, but that's pretty cool that he started his career here. But we've had other really uh, significant Tell me kind of... Uh, you know what? Normally this episode is about an introspective of the individual. Yeah, we'll probably well, get sorry. To, I get it. You but can, no, I, this You is, can get into my mind an introspective of me by listening to some of these because I'm telling you, I'm trying to be the, the, the deliverer of yeah. really cool uh, stories. No, and I, if I can be, then maybe people can... I think that this episode... Is just going to be transformed into the history of Peoria, and I love it because <laughs> yeah. I'm starting to fall in love with the community more Good. and more. The, Good. Every month that goes by, the more I meet people, it's... We need you. We need more of you. <laughs> I need the Moving community. Moving to Peoria, 
coming here, making a life here. It's an affordable town. It's got some pretty cool stuff. We don't have everything. Yeah, you know, no places have but we, uh, but we've got some pretty cool stuff. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm telling you, look around. The museum is one place to find it, but there's a lot of other places. Well, live on, music scene. Well, yeah. Um, so we talked about we have the medical, we have the whiskey, we have the entertainers. But what else? Come on, tell me everything, man. I want to know everything. Well, about we we've, we also have. Uh, we also have a very interesting political history in mm. in that uh, you had some real leaders come out of Peoria. Now, whether whether you agree or disagree at the time with them, in their particular area, they 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 did some real real big things. Cool. Let me start with the biggest, who wasn't from Peoria, but the most important speech of his career was made in Peoria. His name was Abraham Lincoln. And Lincoln, during the early part of his career, had not necessarily been a full-on uh, radical abolitionist, meaning he he didn't believe in slavery, but he wasn't out there fighting it early on. He wasn't with the radicals. But as his career uh, grew, and he served very short time in the United States House of Representatives, but in 1856, he came here to Peoria, and he delivered the speech. They call it the turning point or the Peoria speech, where for the first time in Lincoln's career, he outlined the reason why slavery was immoral and had to go. And this speech launched him into national stardom from a one-term U.S. House member of the House of Representatives, which is not a lot of experience, to be launched stratospherically into the presidency of the United States and the president who emancipated uh, uh, slaves and who ended slavery as an institution is Abraham Lincoln. There's no doubt about it. He's yeah. a pivotal president. But you got to understand, the guy with a block and a half from where we're standing at the old courthouse, it's not, not there anymore, Lincoln delivered the Peoria speech, and he came out against slavery. And I you can look that notice. speech up called the Peor- Lincoln Peoria what? speech. Yep. So Lincoln... That's amazing. First off, A like, whole book's been written on it. What? A whole entire book on this one speech. So that's another thing. It's like, huh, well, most people have heard of Abraham Lincoln, and while he has his roots, he was born in Kentucky. He was raised in Indiana. He came to Illinois when he was 21 years old. He lived in Springfield. He was a lawyer. He rode the circuit. He, he practiced law as far north as Metamora, Illinois. He used to go to that little courthouse when Metamora used to be the, the county seat. But... Nothing compares to the importance of Lincoln deciding to give that lengthy speech, and they do have the transcript of the entire speech, saying, and you know what, he equated it to his faith. You know, he he, he references his faith a lot in there, and, and the notion that slavery is an immoral institution. There's no more compromising. There's no more, we'll admit a new slave state to the Union if we admit a free state. Um, there, he He drew the line. And that's why there's a statue, right, a yeah. block away from here, of Lincoln drawing the line. That's that's to commemorate uh, that that Peoria speech. I was because I always pass it, and then sometimes at night when I pass it, and I look over, I think someone's staring at me, and I have to realize, oh, it's Abe. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's there. That's why it's but there. Like that, this is amazing. Just like learning this much about the community, like learning that Peoria has these rich roots. With the tree, there's a pun on that. Um, <laughs> well, well played. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, from, what do you like about Peoria? So You're far, what I've been loving, I've been loving the open welcomeness. 
Uh, I've been meeting a lot of people that have open arms and people that are born and raised pure. It's like, come on, I don't feel like an outsider. Yeah. So that's one thing I've been loving. I've also been loving just the river, the riverfront. I love going to hang out there. Yeah, it's beautiful. great for my anxiety. I love just hanging out with my dog and meeting people. I've been um, slowly getting out to really view the music scene. So, mm-hmm. like, I'll go to Jackson Adams, mm-hmm. Kenny's. I'll go hang out, kick back, random places I I like so far. So, I slowly started becoming more community. And with this podcast, I'm starting to meet a lot more people, which mm-hmm. introduced me and asked me to go hang out. So, so far, the people. That's my answer. Yeah, you know, it's a funny thing. I think Peoria, because we are uh, small enough, small town, we've got some big city attributes, but... We don't take ourselves so seriously. You know, we take what no. we do seriously, but we really don't take ourselves so seriously. I think there's an underlying uh, faith, confidence, sense of family, treating your neighbors uh, well. Yeah, we're not perfect, but but Peoria is a great, great place. I'm glad you moved here. It's oh, it's, thank uh, you. You know, I I will say it, it's a very interesting community because. Not to go too deep into it, but politically, you do have the mixing pot. Sure. It is red-blue. It is. It, it's Absolutely. not one side or the other. Yeah. So, like, I, I meeted a lot of Trumpers who are very respectful. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I'm not used to this. So, like, the other day I met this cat, proud make America great again. Has it on everything. But he took a second, shook my hand. How's it going? How you doing? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it takes away my pre- my pre- preconceived Perceived. notion yeah, yeah. of, wait a minute, automatically I should not like you. Right. But as an individual, I could talk to you. Yep. So yep. I've been seeing that a lot more. I think there's a humanity here. Uh, yes. There is. Uh, it's interesting. I'll tell you that. Yeah. It's a culture shock for me. Yeah, in Chicago, it's it's hyper political. Uh, you you know you draw you the line. You move. can't be friends with this person or that person. No, but uh, that's really politics is very important. We're a free society. We should be fighting, and and we should be competing. We should not be fighting. We should be competing. But mm-hmm. we but if that ever goes away, worry about the United States. How so? Because in freedom, you're going to have conflict. You're always going to have conflict and freedom. The only way to not have conflict is to fake it by having a dictator that tells you you're all going to believe the same thing. Mm -hmm. We're different. We're people are human beings. We're different. And so we're going to look at the world differently. Um, You know, right now you got in Florida, freedom means one thing in Florida. In California, freedom means another thing. Uh, you know, uh, well, you're uh, talking yeah. about the bluest of the blue and the red. Right, of the red. exactly, exactly. And they're both. Uh, there was an, an, an analysis done uh, hmm. of uh, the two governors of either of those states who couldn't be more, you know, sort of polar opposite politically. Yeah. And they both used the word freedom in their inaugural speeches. Uh, something like twenty-two times. One was twenty-two, and one was seventeen times, or something. So. So there's this different worldviews of what freedom is, and um, but the idea that freedom is important and that we should keep fighting for it, we should celebrate conflict in some ways. Uh, people are, are not our enemies. They may be our political opponents. They may be our competition. We may fight it out with them, but they're not enemies. An enemy is somebody trying to blow up uh, uh, the United States, or mm-hmm. an enemy is... 
is truly somebody who uh, it's, it's some somebody who's trying but to do something. Thing. There's a divide between us, just as as humans, as individuals. There is something that makes a clear point in the sand that oh, if you're here, you're here, you're here, you're here. There's got to be something to break that. Like at the end of the day, we all just want to be loved, accepted for who we are, and make sure that what we respect is respected. There's got to be something. Like in history, has there ever been a time point where? Only one period of American history there's been a there's been a unity, and that was during World War II. That's only one time because we had a common enemy. Yeah, we we had we had a common enemy, we had a common ally. So liberal America was somewhat allied with um, sort of the Russian Bolshevik Revolution, the idea of the commoners sort of kicking out the aristocracy, and and uh, and but remember Russia was uh lost 20 million people to the nazis so uh the 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 sort of american left in some ways allied and sympathetic to there was no way we're gonna let that go the american right uh there had been uh, a, a desire to not be involved but after pearl harbor that was game 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 on everybody was behind the united states of america for that three and a half four year period everybody in the United States, everybody was united. Other than that, there probably hasn't been a sustained period, even during wartime, where there hasn't been somebody saying we shouldn't be at that war. Remember uh, when you were growing up? You remember uh, the war uh, in Iraq? Yeah, that was big. It, it was, ne- it was, was not high un- school. There wasn't yeah. unity on that. There were there was <laughs> front page articles every day. Get out of you know. Yeah. There was an attacks, uh, 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 political attacks on the president, and there were people behind the president that you know defend us from from uh, uh, terrorism. And so, uh, but the older I've gotten, the more I've said, look, it's okay. We don't all listen. We can see the world a little bit differently, mm-hmm. but what we don't want to do is lose our faith. If you have a sense of purpose on earth, a sense of higher, you know, calling, uh, uh, a sense of humanity comes out of that. You know, we're, you know, whatever your, one's particular faith practice is, and I, I'm a Christian, and so I believe that uh, the good Lord has uh, created all of us for a purpose, Yeah, and he wants us to love each other. That's my worldview. I'm not telling everybody they have to agree with me, but that's my worldview, and I think that is higher a higher call than trying to decide what you believe and whether you're going to vote on this legislation or not. So uh, I think if we lead our lives that way, um, you know, it would be a, be a pretty good deal. Now, that doesn't mean hmm. that if we're running for office or something, which I have done, I've served in office, I've run for office. and oh, nice. um, I it doesn't mean that we're not going to vote differently than the other guy or gal, you know, because we... we, we we believe differently, but it doesn't mean that we don't love them. You know, we can't show them respect and love. We need more of that. Yeah, and I I believe we'll get back to it. I think America is filled with good and decent people. It's been a rough, it's been a rough ride. You come from a place where it's just so hyper partisan. I work at a place, the Peoria Riverfront Museum, where you can walk in that place, far left, far right, right down the middle. No politics at all, whatever your creed or color, and you can find something that'll lift you up. You can go in the planetarium and see what we know about the solar system. Go, fly to the the new James Webb telescope, take you to the farthest reaches yes. of the universe. You got to come down. It's we have the iPhone 14 Pro of 
uh, planetariums yeah. right now. I mean, it's it's called the Digistar Seven is the is the brand, but it's basically the hottest, coolest uh, software and hardware you can have at a planetarium. We have it in Peoria, and talk See. about a unifying factor. I mean, I don't care what politics anybody is. Yes, you look up and that night sky and and you see the james webb images shooting back billions of years in time you're like well see this is where now you're going to pique my interest because i'm a i'm a space nerd oh you got to get down there man you'll you'll be coming every weekend once you're i I need to but um the the artemis program that they were running out of nasa which they kept pushing back because of all the um was it tropical storms that were coming through then there was an outbreak of something happening so they kept pushing it back but the artemis program Correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the one where they're planning on putting a female on the dark side of the moon by like 2026, 2030 or something like that? That's right. That's amazing. The, the first female, first person of color will will go back to the moon. We haven't been there since 1971, 50 years ago. Since the race to the moon. Yeah. Or 73. I'm sorry. So, uh, uh, I, think, I think it was a period 1969 through maybe 72 was the last of this. There's six missions where men landed on the moon. You know, it's funny. There's probably, not funny, but interesting. There's going to be a handful of people that didn't know that because I didn't know we went six times. I thought we went three. So So the Apollo missions, the first time we actually landed somebody on the moon was Apollo 11. So uh, we, we ended up with six missions. And you may know this. Three men went to the moon at once, and two of them went down on the surface of the moon. The other one stayed up in the orbiter. So they they had to sort of man the orbiter. It was still amazing to go to the moon, but the two men went down. The first first man to ever step foot on the moon is Neil Armstrong of the state of Ohio, uh, Purdue graduate. He went mm-hmm. to Purdue University in Indiana, and uh, and they're very proud of that. We just borrowed some of the things uh, that they own at Purdue from Neil Armstrong and put them on display at the museum. Oh, I definitely have to Incredible. see this. And we've got a statue of Neil Armstrong in the museum lobby. Nice. Yeah. So if you're a space nerd, get to the museum. It's the place to be. Renee Kerrigan is our curator of science and planetarium director. It's superb. I I might have to hit her up for a conversation. Oh, she's (laughs) the one you want to talk to. Because you know what? Like this, Why do you think we are intrigued by space? Well, because it's mind-blowing. We're it. We are it. We are on a tiny blue planet. Yeah. Now, maybe there's something else out there, but we don't know about it. I believe there's something. There has right. to be. Right. But in time, time freaks you out. We're seeing light now 13 billion years old. The light left the star 13 billion years ago. So yes. we don't even know what is out there now. If it's if that's true, 13 billion years ago, we don't. there could be nothing out there now. We're seeing something that's 13 billion years old. Or... There could be much more beyond that. Or did you hear the conspiracy? And I love this conspiracy because it makes my mind go, but that we're in a black hole. Yeah, have listen, you heard that? All all bets are off. We have no idea. <laughs> we have no idea. But I think that uh, there is a, um, uh, you know, there's a reason. Hi. There's a reason that we are. Uh, I, hey, don't worry about it. There's a reason that we're so intrigued. You know, it's but do you find that we're more intrigued by space than we are underwater? We're more intrigued by space than underwater, but we but we know less about underwater probably than we do about I think space. We fear underwater 
more yeah. than we do. I think we fear the deep blue more than we fear the space. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. But, but why? Like I, I see that's the conversation I want to have with somebody. Why do we fear the deep blue more than the deep dark? I don't space? know. Don't know. We just did a, an exhibition called Creatures of Light, Nature's Bioluminescence. I did the commercial for it. Oh, you did? <laughs> that was my voice. Excellent. Excellent. Well, anyway, I, I, I appreciate you letting me spew out all these Peoria trivia facts and so forth. No, but to I, me, they're points of pride, and, and uh, there's something in it for everybody in I there. Mean, they're so. points of beauty mm-hmm. because it shows throughout years, centuries, because how, how far back did you say the oldest bit of info that you had for me? Well, Peoria was first settled by the French in 1680, but the indigenous Americans here go back eight, ten thousand 10,000 years. That's amazing. That just shows longevity of history, culture, yeah. of, of the trials, tribulations, things we've gone through. I mean, prohibition itself, the fact that we were doing whiskey, all this very intensely, and then here comes the government say, ah, never mind. So now we got to re, you know, we got to retool. Out, yeah, we got to adapt. Yeah. But that's all amazing. Yeah. So history, you're just a history buff. Well, I wouldn't, I've never studied history formally. I'm an enthusiast of history. I'm also an enthusiast of art. We didn't talk much about art, but the museum is a museum of art, science, history, and achievement. Those four pillars. We've got a lot of great art. Preston Jackson's Bronzeville to Harlem, an American story. I was telling you about earlier off off air where it's it's hundreds of little bronze, painted bronze figures of real yeah. life characters out of the uh, the Great Migration, the so-called uh, Black Renaissance uh, period that grew out of that. We've got some of the most valuable paintings and sculpture we've ever had on loan from Art Bridges, which is Alice Walton's foundation. Alice Walton is a great philanthropist, uh, the daughter of Sam Walton, yeah. who founded Walmart. She has sent a bunch of stuff to Peoria. It's absolutely incredible. Some of the greatest paintings we've ever had down at the Do museum right now. big name Peorian artists, painters, sculptures? So, kind of like on a level like Richard Pryor. Right. Our, our biggest name artists were the performing artists. Uh, and Richard Pryor is number one on that list, but you also had great, when radio was the medium, you had a couple called Fibber, McGee, and Molly, and they were hugely important on the radio circuit. Um, you had uh, you had other entertainers like musicians. Uh, the most famous guitarist to come from Peoria is named Gary Richrath. He was the lead guitarist for Ario Speedwagon. Oh, and yeah. he was born in Peoria, raised in East Peoria, went to East Peoria High School. We're actually working with his widow now on the potential of an exhibition of his private collection of guitars that he used to perform. So That'd be amazing. Uh, we, we, we are presently holding those for the family and working on a, an exhibition uh, for the future. So, you know, there there's... Fame is a, is a weird thing, because at one time you could be super famous, and, and then an, the next generation may not remember or know who you are. But there have been some, some famous people. But the people I like to celebrate the most are just the people who've worked hard and raised their families and worked for Caterpillar, worked in the medical field, or been a salesman or school teacher or Everyday person. minister or, you know... Uh, Served, uh, you know, worked uh, worked at a social service agency, or you know, every day they're the heroes of this town that have built uh, have built the town over the years. Most of them, their names won't be on a 
a school or a street sign or a you know or there a museum. Names I've heard. So I got the chance to talk with Becky Rossum, amazing yes. lady in the community who passed me your information. Said that Thank, we you, had Becky. Talk. Thank you, Becky. Thank you, Becky. Hetty Elliott, another amazing oh, individual. Oh, what community. a great, what a great human being. Uh, Marcellus Somerville. So I, I feel like love Marcellus. What I'm doing here is, or what I hope that I'm doing is, I'm collecting audible books from each individual the human library that we talked about before and i just i love hearing perspectives i love hearing people's passions people speak about the light that they're currently walking like you with the passion like ah that invigorates me where i'm like okay i'm doing something good and you are doing something good man thanks man come on now don't worry i'm gonna visit the museum (laughs) well that you can do that too but whether you visit or not you're doing something good right here at this microphone so thank you man uh before i let you go let me ask you this what do you hope people get out of visiting the riverfront museum our goal is to unleash the full talent and genius of every individual so you walk through that door we want something to happen to you when you're in there that unlocks a part of you that you didn't know you had to give because everybody's filled with talents a lot of them so we use the tools of art science history achievement the stories we tell and those stories are what we hope will somehow inspire you you stand in front of a 10 foot tall purple quartz crystal amethyst one of the tallest in the world and your mind is just it's like looking into the stars and you, something is going to happen by one one of these fifth graders or senior citizens or young guy who moved here from Chicago like yourself. Something's going to happen at one of the places in that museum, which is going to help you to be more. Hmm. That's what I'm hoping. Every single person I'm at, when I see them walk through that door, I'm like, what could I unleash today? I mean, what magic could we perform where they walk out of there more confident, more ready to use their talents to change the world. And if we do that one by one by one, and we even get it right one out of ten times, we're we're going to change the course of Peoria. I love it. You're going to collect history, change history. Isn't that beautiful? I like it. Come on. All you're right. hired. That's you're you're I... the slogan man for us. <laughs> I like that. I, I can be uh, put on retainer if you need. Good. <laughs> All right. This has been another episode of the KZ 1023's Community Beat. I'm your host, Ross Martinez. John Morse. Thank you, Ross. Of the Pure Riverfront Museum. Um, for more information, where can they go? They go to our website, uh, uh, Got oh, Just come on down to the museum. We'll help you out. Just come on down. I, I don't know when the episode is being posted because I'm recording ahead of time. Um, but is there anything big in the summer that you'd like to promote? Well, we got Body Worlds coming. It's the biggest science exhibition in the history of travel and science exhibition. It's real human bodies. They've been plasticized. Some people will be grossed out by it, but a lot of people will be like, whoa, because they take the whole muscular system, the whole neurological system, the human brain, the human heart, and we're pairing it with an exhibition called Heart. So Body Worlds and Heart coming this summer, 2023, is going to be big. And then next summer, Sharks. Sharks? Sharks. The biggest exhibition on sharks in the history of museums is coming to us directly from New York City's American Museum of Natural History. The Night at the Museum Museum. It's a big deal. Are we going to talk about the uh, Megalodon? We have a Megalodon model in in the exhibition, and people are going to be blown. 
I'm a nerd about this. You're going to like it. Oh, all right. Make sure you go down uh, to the Peoria Riverfront Museum. If you're out of town, make a trip. we got a lot of great things happening. Again, John, thank you so much. Um, Go back, check out all the episodes. More to come. Thank you so much. All right, bye.